Hello, friends. I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today we have a special announcement and then we're going to discuss some culture topics, Six Wakes by Mer Lafferty, Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet, and Miss Marvel Volume 6. We have two comics this time around, so this episode may be shorter than usual. Hmm, I'm dubious about that. I just didn't want people to be disappointed. Hmm, but Black Panther has a lot of meat to it. That's true. Okay, well, let's get started. As everyone knows, we're very big on self-care around here. We lecture you about it every time we drop a newsletter, and then we remind you at the end of each episode. We're always harping on it. Anywhere we can slip in a hint. And I say all of that so you'll go easy on us when I announce that Anna is going on hiatus for April. It's time for my annual pilgrimage to Brazil. Have to go visit the family, guys. A whole month with no Anna. I'm so sad. Well, that is going to be the Hugo Awards episode. Except for the Hugo Award announcements, which I assume you'll take a tiny, tiny break from your break to come and celebrate with me because I'm finally starting to get excited about it. Always. There there will always be time for the Hugo Awards, especially if we have to rage and cry again this year. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope that some of the fixes that we passed last year will now prevent some of the shenanigans by racist white guys. We can only hope. I, of course, will still be here. I will have some guests. But prepare your trombones. It does mean that there won't be Question Tuesday episodes in April, but we are still planning to release a vault episode at the end of the month, made possible by our patrons. So thank you guys very much. We are going to be watching the 1994 Stargate, i.e. one of Baby Renee's favorite movies. So you can all watch that in preparation. How long has it been since you rewatched this movie, Renee? A year. All right. You are so dubious. (laughs) (laughs) I've already watched it. Yeah, well, I'm going to rewatch it soon and then we're going to talk about it. That's going to be a great episode. So don't be too sad, guys. Anna will be back in May for a triumphant return episode. It's time to travel outside our echo chamber and talk about some culture. Anna, what do you have for us this week? For some reason I can't explain exactly, I have been visiting Facebook a lot lately and one of the things that i like the most about it is to follow those cooking channels that play videos automatically as you scroll through them i find it very soothing to just watch hands chopping things and preparing beautiful meals and i thought i should recommend one of those channels for recipes that i have found to be both visually pleasing and actually delicious because i cooked them it's forkly food on facebook you don't you don't follow those cooking channels? I do not follow cooking channels on Facebook, no. I read food blogs, like cook, cooking bloggers. 
It's just because when you follow the new like them on Facebook, then sometimes when you're scrolling through through your timeline, there are just like these little videos that appear, and it's just like hands. I just like that so much. You like disembodied hands just appearing on your timeline? Yeah, appear so, yes. What kind of cooking channels are they? Everything. This Forkly, um, they have a lot of vegan and, and vegetarian recipes, but also like meat stuff. So there is recipes with bacon? Yes. I need to have recipes with bacon in them. I used to cook everything with bacon before becoming a vegetarian slash vegan. Wait, you've upgraded? I'm trying to. Oh my god, you can never visit me. What will I feed you? <laughs> Vegetables. I will have to go buy my mother a vegan cookbook and be like, you can only cook out of this book. Good luck. Potatoes. God, I love bacon. That's the only thought in my head right now. I love bacon. <laughs> well, okay, I was browsing around and I found this BuzzFeed article from 2013 about Hocus Pocus star Doug Jones who played Billy Butcherson, the zombie, Winifred's old boyfriend. This article introduced me to some facts that I did not know. Billy was supposed to be a like, quote-unquote hot zombie uh, success. Baby Renee was A-plus hot for the zombie and very confused. But it worked out because she was always confused about everything sexuality-wise back in that time period. Apparently he had a dance scene that was cut and I'm gutted because this is great. Somebody find me this footage of Billy Butcherson the zombie breakdancing in Hocus Pocus. I cannot believe this. I looked and my DVD does not have any extra footage at all. Where is it? Someone must have it. Somebody's got to have that footage. Somebody get a hold of the director. Jones played the pale man in Pan's Labyrinth and was terrifying. And he also played Abe Sapien in Hellboy, which we're never getting a third movie for, ever. Nobody can see me, but I'm making like 8,000 sad faces right now. <laughs> this, uh, anyway, this was my nostalgia attack for the week. It was a really great article that I still don't understand how I found, but what luck! So relevant to my interests. Thank you, BuzzFeed. Well, relevant to my interest was International Women's Day, which has come and gone. And there was a lot of cool stuff online. There was also some pretty bad stuff, like the Brazilian president saying that women are great at economy, but just look at how they can tell supermarket prices when they go shopping. And that was not so great. But what a winner. Just remember that he staged, he was the vice president that staged a coup to get rid of the female president, the first female president of Brazil, on the grounds that she was too corrupt. Newsflash, he is more corrupt than her. If we start talking about Brazilian politics, we will never leave <laughs> this podcast. Well, Charles will get his wish. Six hour podcast, unedited Brazilian politics. Oh my god. I don't know where we would even start or end. There would be no end. But one of the cool things that I saw was the Guardian's list of podcasts by women. They call it Women Challenging the Patriarchy, one podcast at a time. There were science podcasts, bookish podcasts, politics podcasts, and I haven't listened to all of them yet, but I thought I should bring this to your attention because that sounds like something that our space bees would like. They did not include Fangirl Happy Hour, and the person responsible for it must have been reprimanded by it. I just know. 
you've got to include us when you make these lists because we're super cool. Yes, of course. So the Guardian was wrong. But I'm sure the rest of them were great. Yes, I'm sure they are. Okay, my last thing. In one of my newsletters that I get delivered to my inbox, because it is the 90s again, it's called No Complaints by Carolyn Crampton. And she linked to this political article about the national anxiety about the health of Ruth Bader Ginsburg for people outside of America who aren't sure which fire this is. She is a Supreme Court justice, and she is 83 years old. Given that the GOP stole Obama's last Supreme Court appointment, we're all a little stressed about the health of our liberal judges. But Neil Gorsuch, the GOP nominee, he doesn't even seem like Scalia light to me. He seems like a full-blown, I'm coming to be Scalia's voice from beyond the grave. It's real scary. So if 45 gets to appoint another justice, that means the court will be weighted toward conservatives, and that kind of means not great things. Like, I hope you enjoyed the last few decades of everyone gaining more equality, because that's going to come to a sudden and abrupt end with a majority conservative court. People who didn't vote and let this foul-mouthed tangerine into the presidency because it didn't matter, because they were the same, nothing matters, politics is corrupt, blah blah blah, didn't vote. Congrats, you just fucked up about 30 to 40 years of making the Supreme Court less of a shit show. I get really upset about the Supreme Court. That's why I, and many like me, are concerned about all the liberal justices over 70 because we've got like 200 and something weeks left of grabby hands make fake gate and they need to survive. They need to live. So this journalist went and found Ginsburg's personal trainer and went through the whole thing with him. Like the whole routine that she does. And he was like, okay, that wasn't easy. And there's a video and he is winded. So, you know, I'm feeling a little better about Ginsburg now, which I assume was his end game. So uh, thanks, Ben, for that tiny, tiny peace of mind. Ginsburg can do more push-ups than I can. <laughs> This is amazing. My only complaint about this article, they quoted a woman who called push-ups off your knees girl push-ups. And that's sexist garbage. If you ever hear someone say that to you or anyone around you, shut them down. They're modified push-ups and they're for everyone who is not strong enough for full core or toe push-ups. Labeling them quote-unquote girl push-ups is a super sexist way to make sure people skip from fitness level zero to... Oops, now I'm in the ER because I've hurt myself trying to do toe push-ups. And if you're wondering whether I emailed the article's writer and expressed my opinion about this, yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I sure did. Well done. Stop being sexist about fitness because it makes people hurt themselves. And it's stupid. I agree. You know who uses modified push-ups? People who are new to fitness, i.e. men too. Six Weeks by Mer Lafferty is a 2017 science fiction novel where six clones wake up in space and their previous clones are in front of them murdered. It is a locked roomed mystery in space on a generation ship. I like one of these things. Anna, did you like this novel? I did. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I did too. I read it really fast. I read it in two days. It went really quickly. It's a super fast read. 
you said that there was one thing that you like about that summary. I like everything about it. I love locked room mysteries. I love generation ships. He also has a broken artificial intelligence. He has clones. He has an unreliable narrative because the characters wake up and they don't have their memories. What you didn't say in the little summary was that when they wake up, they realize that 25 years have gone and they don't know what happened and how they ended up with their previous clones killed. That was my favorite part of it. Well, I'm very sorry for leaving that important detail out of my summary. So important. I do not like the locker room mysteries. Oh, why not? I don't know what it is about them. I just don't want them that much. They don't intrigue me i guess but it's a locked room one of them must be the murderer well in case people are curious locked room in this case means like a three mile long spaceship so uh well they are still in space yes they are on a generation ship in space there is so much to it though right because there is the whole history of cloning and how it came to be and the laws around cloning and the wars that happened before and the fact that all of them were criminals that were then given this job to crew this ship and take care of the thousands of humans sleeping on this trip to a new planet to colonize and when they get there they will then be forgiven for the crimes that they committed back on earth so there's another element on top of everything else there is a future narrative and then there are flashbacks and we get to see where all the different characters came from and what they were doing before they accepted a place in the ship it uses this little flashback technique really well and i guess if you read a lot of mysteries maybe you'll figure it out i did not figure it out until the very end till the book explained it to me I didn't either. Yeah, I thought the mystery was really well put together. It was. There were a lot of twists, unexpected revelations. It was basically a game of Clue, right? So you had the Maria de Montanis lady, Joanna the doctor, Wolfgang the law enforcer, Paul the IT guy, Katrina the captain, Hero the navigation pilot, and then you had Ian the AI. None of these people liked each other. Because they don't remember the last 25 years, but they wake up not liking each other. And so you're kind of like, well, I can see how everything falls apart. But it's not really as simple as them not liking each other. Although the tension uh, between them kind of raises the stakes a little bit. Are you guys ever going to figure this out? Or are you going to kill each other before you can solve the mystery of why in the world 25 years went by and then you guys kill each other like everybody died? (laughs) Oh, oh, we left out the fact that Katrina, the captain, her clone, her previous clone, was actually still alive when they woke up. Oh yeah, she was in a coma. And one of the one of the rules of this world is that one clone cannot be alive at the same time as its own clone. So one of them would have to be killed. So there's an extra tension there. I forget the rule. Does it mean that like the most recent clone has the right to the identity? Is that how it goes? Yes. So the new Katrina, who finds herself in a coma in the med bay, is like, well, we're going to kill her. And they, and they were like, no, don't kill her because she might know what happened to us. Yeah. So it becomes this really complicated moral choice. Like, what do you do in this situation? Who is your favorite character? I quite liked Maria and Hero. 
there was so much to it, though. There are so many, so many threads and elements and surprises and things that build up from what happened to them in the past. It's complicated because the thing with the clones is that every time that the clone, the clone lives a whole life, it dies, and then a new body is ready for them that they can download their consciousness into their younger bodies and continue doing that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So basically, these people are immortals. And some of these people are over 200 years old, and they don't even remember everything about their lives anyway, because they keep forgetting, and it's a long time to live. And there are a lot of plots and mysteries. Isn't one of the mysteries that part of the download process for clones, like you download memories into the new clone, people who are hackers, I guess, can go in and mess with, they call them mind maps. So that becomes another element of this tangle of people. They don't have their memories because their mind maps weren't uploaded before their previous clones were killed. So obviously amongst them, there's a hacker, but they don't know who it is. So there is not only a murderer, but also a hacker. My favorite character was Joanna, because she seemed to be the one who was like keeping it together the best, which I guess makes sense because she was the medical doctor. I really liked how she approached conflict and how she dealt with just really shitty situations. And I also liked her best in her backstory because you find out how integral she is to the actual laws that govern cloning. So I thought her backstory was the most interesting. Ah, you did. I thought it was Maria's as well. Hers was fascinating. I don't know if I would call it the most interesting. Hers was the most violent and morally ambiguous. I know. I think this is why I love it so much. Was there anything that you didn't like about it? I had some issues with the writing. Mm-hmm. So it was very sporadically good. And it's hard to put my finger on what about the writing caused me so many problems. But in some places in the novel, it was like the quality dropped super fast. And it would just be bad for a while. And then it would go back to being okay. So I was just like, what? Is ha-? Like, I would have actual trouble with sentences. There'd be like weird punctuation and they were put together strangely and I would have to reread multiple times to figure out what was going on in sections. Although it reads really fast, it's a very quick read. The writing is very energetic and immersive. I still would run into those spots where I would just get completely derailed. I agree. I thought the dialogue were especially bad. Wow, especially bad. I mean, in terms of the the bits that I found that I that I had most problems with were in the dialogues. It just sounded very fake, very generic. Yes, let me just put it like this. This is a book where you would not come away f- after reading it saying, "Oh, this has such a wonderful prose." No, it's a book where you have a lot of fun. Because the premise is fantastic, the twists are awesome, the mystery is really well done, but you wouldn't say, oh, I love the prose in this novel. I could probably could not listen to an audiobook. I, cu- I couldn't do it. Like I would be like, oh, embarrassment's quick, I'm leaving. Reading it's okay, but I agree with you. Some of it was really, really awkward. But this would make a fantastic movie. Wow, yes. I want somebody to buy this right now, actually. Right? <laughs> somebody call... Merlefany's agent and be like, listen, I need to turn this into a movie. I would totally watch a movie of this. It's very diverse. Yeah, it is. It has a lot of different characters in it. 
diverse, not even racially, but also like Joanna is disabled. She requires a wheelchair or she has prosthetic legs. I couldn't figure out what was happening in the narrative with that. I think that's what it meant. It's super futuristic stuff that helps you walk. Basically, that's what they were. They have food printers. Because in the book, they have this scientifically invented material called life. And it's this thing that can be combined with technology to print proteins. It can make a bunch of different foods. Uh, it talks about how the machine struggles with like fruits and vegetables, which I thought was a neat piece of world building. And there is a lot of world building in this novel. There is. Incredibly so. Because it talks about religion and cloning and crime related to cloning and the moral position on cloning and the different positions you can take and how those positions interact with each other. So this is not just a neat science novel. It's also could be great for like a discussion, like a book club, because there is a lot of like, philosophical stuff about cloning to talk about here. And I think one of our characters even, which I'm not going to say, uh, embodies that in mm-hmm. a very interesting way. I screamed, Anna, when I figured it out. I screamed. I know. I say I figured it out. I, I mean, I read it. I didn't figure it out. The book told me. But I was like, I had I had suspicions, and then it happened, and I was like, oh my god! I think this takes all the tropes that it used and mixes them in a really fascinating way. I agree, to the point where then the bad patches of writing did not completely detract my judgment from the book. No, I think the writing could use some improvement, just because I was confused. I don't think I'm a dumb reader. You are definitely not a dumb reader. The quality drop-off in some of these sections would just be so confusing that I would have to reread. Like, that seems like an editing problem. Like, they were portions of the novel that just didn't get as close as tension during the editing process. Orbit, what are you doing? What's going on? So, yeah, this was a really, really fun revenge narrative. Yes, because at the end of it, it was a revenge story, right? Mm-hmm. And you know how we feel about revenge stories. Oh, yeah, baby. And all the characters had fascinating pasts that were, like, worthy of their own novels. Because, I mean, these people are clones. They've lived forever. They've done tons of stuff. You could have read a novel about any one of these people and had it be, like, its own thing. And it would have been great. That's true. Also, the villain of the piece. Wow. What a great villain. Mm-hmm. So how many space beads would you give this? I would give it four. I'm also giving it four. This was a really great book. I was really pleasantly surprised. I'm so glad. Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet by Ta-Hanisi Coates, Brian Stelfries, and Laura Martin is the first volume in the rebooted Black Panther This is actually my first Black Panther novel. I have never read any of the previous Black Panther novels, so this was an interesting experiment. Have you read any other Black Panther stuff? I have not. This was my this was not my first experience with Black Panther because I did watch Captain America Civil War. That was my first experience with Black Panther. (laughs) That was great. Do I need to give you a, lo- a minute alone with uh, Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. For me, it was the first experience reading the comics as well. From what I understand, there hasn't been a lot of 
individual appearances of Black Panther per se. It was more up until now, or very recently, his appearances had been as part of an ongoing thread in other major characters' comics. When this was acquired, there was a huge celebration because of the writer-artist team, which is Tahanesi Coates and Brian Stelfreeze. They're both black men, so this was like a definite own voices celebration. And Tata Hesikotes is a wonderful writer. He does a lot of journalism and he's written a few books. If you haven't read his writing, definitely should check it out. So this comic was being awaited with, it had a lot of expectations placed on it. And I always worried a little, I'm like, well, if it's not like knock us out of the park amazing, what's going to happen? I was really concerned. I mean, even looking back at the first issues of comics that I love, like Squirrel Girl or Miss Marvel, like, they didn't have, like, explosive beginnings. They were just really competently written with really interesting and emotional stories that built up over time. They had time to get better. And so I worried that with this one, we would see all this expectation put on the very beginning and we wouldn't give Coates and Selfridge time to build the world. I have very conflicted feelings about this volume. With what you were saying, for example, with giving time for people to develop stories, but this first volume that has four issues, it feels very, very incomplete, much more than any trade I have read before. Uh, It's very clear that this story is not yet told in any shape or form. It's just at its very beginning. And to me, what was more surprising, it was the fact that it felt less of a superhero story and more of a politics story. Before the story starts, there was some fighting and T'Challa lost his sister, Shuri, even though she's not quite gone. She's suspended in a stasis, kind of. Because she was the previous queen in the Black Panther. So he's struggling without her support. And because there's so much revolution and upheaval, there's a lot of corruption, abuse of power. So the first volume starts out with Ramonda, who is T'Challa's stepmother. And she is sentencing one of the Dormalaji, which is the protectors of the Black Panther heritage. People who are only familiar with the movies will remember the scene in Civil War when Natasha is waiting on T'Challa and this woman walks up to her and says, move or you will be moved. Those the Dora Milaje. And one of these Dora Milaje has killed somebody for oppressing women and basically being a corrupt asshole. Now she's being sentenced to death for doing that. And one of her sisters in the Dormalaji has come to plead her case and she fails. So you get the launch of this sad story because the one who did the killing, Aneka, is rescued by the one who did the pleading, Ao, and they basically go off as vigilantes, basically. And they steal some armor from Wakanda and they start, you know, taking over the countryside by getting rid of the corrupt folks. So not only is T'Challa having to deal with a revolution, he's also seeing previous allies turn against him because there's just so much going on. There was a scene where 
Aneka and Ao rescue some women, and they set a field on fire, and it says no one man because Wakanda is a monarchy. So now we have this like little revolution happening within Wakanda, like within Wakanda itself, the Wakandan people. But then you also have Naganda and its politics coming into play as well. This is not so much about Black Panther as it is about Wakanda and its people. One of the things that we learn or that I didn't know, for example, is that for a long, long time, this country has been invaded multiple times by enemies of the Black Panthers, not necessarily of the Chala, but of the lineage. And because it's such a rich country and has a lot of technology, and of course, then they have vibranium mines as well, which just makes it ripe for exploitation and it has happened that big villains of the Marvel Universe have tried to invade Wakanda. And when that happens, of course, who suffers is the people. There's also the fact that T'Challa has spent so much time outside Wakanda, fighting with the Avengers or doing other stuff. The, he's not known to his own people. It's really an utterly complex, complicated look at a country in the throes of revolution with a king that doesn't really understand the intricacies of what is happening in his country, at least not at this stage yet, and with all the local politics and corruption that can occur when there are no efficacy in the oversight of local politicians. Wakanda is a country that is super advanced, but still has a lot of oppression. And how do you conciliate that? How do you get a king that is such a hero, but at the same time, he's still a king to a people that he thinks he needs to be more father of than an actual equal. This comic poses a few different questions, like who has a right to rule and what type of leadership sustains a people? And is it always right to act in the face of injustice? even with violence, especially when the state fails to protect people. I don't think that the comic necessarily comes down on one side or the other to these questions yet. I think it's still exploring how to answer them. I mean, to the last one, I would say yes, especially when it concerns Aneka and how she killed an official because he was oppressing women. When you run out of options... And the only option left to you is violence. Is it okay to take that option? And I would say, obviously, yes. If you have no other recourse, like what do you do? Exactly. So this was a very, very dense comic. And it, and I think I agree with you about it not being a superhero comic right now. We are seeing a very conflicted, lost T'Challa. He is the Black Panther, but he is a little misdirected at this point in time because he's still struggling to understand what's going on. So we haven't seen superhero Black Panther yet. No. This is a very political story. And it shows all sides of the equation. It has from philosophers to kings, from warriors to workers, from small-town politicians to religious leaders. It's very wide in scope, very intricate in terms of storytelling. And I have no idea how this will all be resolved. I have no clue how Coates is going or where he's going to take this story. At the moment, I don't I don't think I even like T'Challa that much and that I was not expecting that to happen. 
I like a lot of the other characters. I absolutely love Aneka and Ayo, who are also lovers. But I was not expecting to dislike him. Because even though you said that you think there are no sides yet, I think he's the worst so far. Well, no, no, not the worst, because at least he's not a rapist. But I don't know, how how can they possibly keep a monarchy after everything that we have seen in this graphic novel so far? It's a good question. But I think that is what Kota's going for. I don't think he would write a comic critical of the failures of a monarchy without providing context for readers to make their own judgment. But like I said, this is only four issues. So we'll have to wait and see. I almost feel like you should wait to read when this is completed. I think it would probably be a better experience. Unless you like cliffhangers. In which case, then you should read this. How many space speeds would you give this? I really liked the politics of it. I was expecting more of the actual Black Panther. I thought the arch was very beautiful. I wanted it to be a five, but I think it's more of a four. Yeah, I think um, at four, two. Mostly because I don't feel like this is a good entry point to this character. Well, it's better than the one that they included in the end. The original appearance from him. Which I did not read. You know, note Fantastic Four. I read the first few panels and I was like, holy shit, I I cannot continue reading this. Like, if you like politics, if you like queer ladies fighting bad guys, this is totally going to be your jam. Completely agree. Miss Marvel Volume 6 by G. Willow Wilson and a buttload of other artists is the Civil War 2 tie-in and tells the story of what happens when Kamala is asked to profile people to prevent crime. Oh boy, Anna. This volume. (laughs) It's heartbreaking in many ways. I was going to try to read the Civil War 2 event and then I realized what they were doing to Carol and I was out. And then I realized what they were going to do to Rhodey, and I was double out. I was like, fuck you, Marvel. I was so mad. This is just a cash grab. And it makes me so upset that they're doing this again. Because, number one, they kill off a character. Sorry for spoilers of Civil War, guys. But they kill off a black character to fuel the pain of a white woman and a white man. And I was done. I haven't been following the Civil War event, and this is pretty much the first long-form story I've read within that context. It was just as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, I don't know what they were thinking. I'm like, why would you tell a story like this about Captain Marvel the year before you're going to start filming her movie? Why would you do this? That is true. Why would you make her an abusive asshole? Because she's suffering. Yeah, because a a black man died, so she's suffering. Like, there's no part of this where the optics looks good. And then she makes another non-white character suffer. Because even though it's not, she's not directly involved with Civil War, Kamal is still very much a part of it because she wants so much to do what Carol has asked her to. Kamala is in charge of a team for predictive crime. And she takes that team because Carol asked her to. And as she's doing this work, people in her life are like, what? This is awful. Why would you do this? And it has really explosive consequences to Kamala's life. I really liked that they explained 
what profiling is really explicitly. And they explain the consequences of what profiling does to societies and communities and friendships. It hurts so much. It's very different from the previous one that had a little bit of an optimistic, uplifting, hopeful side to it. And this one was so dark. And Kamala has always struggled to do her work as a 16-year-old that has so much pressure to do what's right, to be a hero. And then in here, she has to struggle with so much more because it's for someone that she admires so much. And she has to decide for herself, which I thought was great, what was right and what was wrong, what was what was ethical and what wasn't, but not before grave consequences for one of her best friends and one of the main characters in this series. The whole thing with Bruno was heartbreaking because not only what happens to him, but what happens to his friendship with Kamala, which up until this moment had been so important. And he basically he breaks away from her. On one hand, I understand why he does this. And then on the other hand, I'm just like... This feels very forced. A little bit, because the narrative kind of places the blame on Bruno's accident on Kamala, which I don't think is fair, because Bruno has his own agency. Kamala was making incorrect choices, and she eventually made the right one, but how he blames her for his accident and how his life is going to change... I thought was a really, I guess, realistic for a younger person who has watched a lot of his dreams just disappear. But the cold shouldering felt really, really, really strange. I could see him being mad, but the way that it was written just really felt like, well, we need Kamala to experience some really bad consequences. So what's the worst consequence that could happen and that's what they came up with so that's what they went with regardless of whether it made sense overall for the characters i mean i understand why they did it but i think they went a little bit too far but that's the whole problem with this whole event that the characters don't behave like the characters that we know and there are really weird things too for example after bruno goes into hospital and the whole thing happens and he's there Mike disappears from the narrative. Until we get to see her crying over his choices later. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? I don't understand what happened here. This doesn't feel like a Kamala. Well, that that's not true either. It feels very much like a Kamala story because Kamala is still here. It's the universe around her. The reason why I don't like these tie-in events is because they force the writers into this outside narrative and then they have to it's like a paint by numbers make it fit and when you do that characters don't act like themselves characters can vanish and i was just i'm just really disappointed that they did this event because this volume of a comic that i really really love changed everything about the universe that i loved in a way that i don't think works characterization wise and would that even be a comeback from that i mean kamala lost her mentor because carol who knows how long it's going to be until carol forgives her even though carol is in the wrong she's lost bruno they wanted to have some consequences why in the world is having carol and kamala at odds not a bad consequence why do we have to add like insult on injury and i mean i understand why they did it because it makes for really great drama but i don't feel like it's true to bruno's character not that he was mad at Kamala, per se, but that he left his family, left his girlfriend, and just abruptly went 
to Wakanda. Yeah. And then he's going to get there, and it's all shitty, too. <laughs> As we know, Whoops. revolution happening. <laughs> Bruno, uh, you might want to rethink that move. And then part of the reason is, like, his only choice was to go to Wakanda? Really? That's his only... Okay. I don't know. I, I mean, I liked it because I like all Kamala stories. I especially liked the very last story where she goes to... To Pakistan, to Karachi, to visit her family and discovers that there is a local superhero and she tries to help things there and, with, and get enmeshed in local politics and just fucks it up because she doesn't understand what's going on. And I thought this was a really cool mirror to what we talked about in our discussion about Black Panther, too. Politics is much more complex and complicated than we think. So how many space bees? Oh, I'm so torn because I love Kamala so much. And there were so many things that I loved about this. The the story of, of her grandparents and her her bracelets. That was such a beautiful touch, too. I think I would give it a four with the caveat that Fuck Civil War. Yeah, I would give it three and also fuck Civil War. Clearly, we're not Civil War fans. No. I'm not really a fan of events in general. I've only been reading comics a few years, but I already know that I hate crossover events. And I don't understand what I keep doing them. It's not accessible for people who don't have a zillion dollars a month. On the plus side, soon there will be a new volume of Miss Marvel and we'll read it and hopefully be happier. Yes. Fingers crossed. It's time for recommendations. Anna, what have you got for us today? I have a new obsession. Okay. It's a TV show. I watched seasons one and two over the weekend, devoured it, cannot stop thinking about it, cannot stop thinking about how it's only two days until Friday when I can finally resume watching season three. It's Vikings. Oh no. I can't. It's just, it's so good. It's extremely violent, but it has three of my favorite things in the whole world. Hot dudes, history, and amazing female characters. I love it to bits. And it has Norse mythology. Everything's based on the Norse sagas about Ragnar Lockbrook and his sons. I don't know if I told you this, but... I used to be so into North mythology. I did a course when I was 19. I learned to read runes so that I could communicate with the gods. But let's not dwell too much on that side of my past. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, go back. Oh, I had a, an esoteric phase, Renee, when I, kinda, I, I fancied myself kind of like a witch. And I wanted to, to read runes so I could throw stones to communicate with gods. Okay, now you know. Let's move on and not talk about this again. Let's type this into Twitter. No! <laughs> what? <laughs> I was 19. A child. Anyway, so this show reminds me a lot of those times. And I still like, really enjoy Norse mythology a whole lot. And the show is incredibly well written. And it's about Vikings invading England. So it has a, lo- a lot of Anglo-Saxon history too. It's fantastic. I love it. Very violent. Okay, so not my kind of show. Got it? Possibly not. 
I'm glad you found something that speaks to your inner 19-year-old. Yes. What about you? What's your recommendation? I finished a book called The Monopolists, and it's a book about the history of Monopoly. I am really into Monopoly. I grew up playing it, and I feel brutally misled because the book talks about this little insert that was included in Monopoly games in the past about how Charles Darrow invented the game and saved his family from financial ruin. So I've read that insert and I totally bought it because my Monopoly set was old, old, old. It belonged to my mom. It was very, very old. All the information I ever had about this Monopoly game was that it was invented by a dude. Well, guess what? That's a lie. It was not invented by a dude. He stole it from a woman. (gasps) I was going to say twist, but not really. Everything you love was created by women and then repackaged and sold to you by men and capitalism. And the women got no credit. Wow. Anyway, the story is fascinating. It talks about how Monopoly was a public domain game because the woman who created it originally conceived it as a landlord's game. And it was basically anti-capitalism. It traveled around New England over the course of 20 years and people picked up the rules and they passed it on to their friends. And when one couple taught it to Charles Darrow, he just decided to steal it. Wow. And sell it to Parker Brothers. And then Parker Brothers went around suing or acquiring the rights to any game that looked similar to Monopoly. And it tells the whole story. It's super interesting, but infuriating. Wow. So next time you play Monopoly, just know that it was created by a lady. And also the art was done by somebody who wasn't compensated. The board design was done by somebody who wasn't really compensated. Wow. The book is by Mary Pallon, and it's very short. The only problem I had with it is that she sort of slips into some hagiography at the end, and I'm not into that. But otherwise, it's just really good. And I highly recommend this book if you want to learn more about Monopoly. And why in the world its anti-capitalist roots got gouged out and now it's being marketed to you as capitalism is great. P.S. Capitalism is not great. Okay, Anna, tell everybody what we're going to discuss next time. On our next Friday episode, we'll be discussing The Stars of Legion by Cameron Hurley, Squirrel Girl Volume 3 by Erica Henderson and Ryan North, and the first season of The Expanse. have completed episode 78 of fangirl happy hour congrats next on your adventure you can choose to go back to episode one and listen to all of it again or sit and wait until next tuesday for a new episode you decide susan creates our transcripts which you can read on our website era made our show art our music this week is by Boxcat games and choosy beats you can find links to their work in our show notes plus information about the media we discussed this episode you can follow us on twitter at fangirl podcast or email us at fangirlhappyhour at tmail.com if you're not subscribed to the show you can find us on itunes soundcloud or whatever quality podcasts are acquired and don't forget that we are now on patreon have you had a glass of water recently maybe go drink some before you contact your reps to earn your citizenship points for the day take a break and a deep breath Go look for some grasshoppers, but don't eat them. Crush them for me. Thanks for listening, Space Bees. See you next episode. Bye.
Oh god, I almost fell out of my chair. It's fine. I hate daylight savings time. I hate it. 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 Can we just choose one? Just choose one and stick with it. <laughs> but I, li I like talking about your problems. I mean, not that you have problems. That's not what I meant. God damn it. But I already, I've already fucked it up. Every... Like, why can't I just speak like a normal person? <laughs> no? No, yeah, you were right. I'm the one who's wrong. <laughs> I can't believe I invoked my mother. That's amazing. She wasn't even home. Wow. What? When we, when we started, she wasn't even here. Awkward. <laughs>